at my house, a bulb burnt out in our kitchen. It was working fine, and then we woke up the next morning, we went into our kitchen, and immediately, my family and I, we could notice that the one corner of our kitchen, it was darker. It was one of those uh, floodlight-type bulbs that's in the recessed lighting that's up above, right? And I pulled out the light bulb, and I took a look at it, 650 lumens. That's the light output from that particular bulb. And apparently, 650 lumens matters in your kitchen, uh, even though it is one of six of those light bulbs that we have in our kitchen. So 650 lumens still matters, even when there's 3,250 other lumens lighting up your space. I don't really know the science behind light, so I don't know how that all works, but it does matter. It made a difference. We can immediately notice that it was darker in that corner of our kitchen. And, handyman that I am, I changed the light bulb. I put a new light bulb in there, and immediately, again, we could notice the difference. More light filled up that space in our kitchen. Do you notice? Do you notice when there is light that is filling up your life? Do you notice when, when there's light, the light of Christ, and when that light of Christ, when it fills your life? And do you notice when it gets darker? Do you notice when there is that corner that little area over there that's just a little bit darker, that little, that little piece of your heart, that corner of your heart that you won't allow Christ's light to shine in? Those are the questions that the words from the Apostle Paul are going to lead us to ask today. Questions that are important questions because the light of Christ and the way that it shines into your life with all of its brilliance, it matters. It is important. How many of you here today watching, listening, how many of you here because you want some kind of direction, some kind of guidance for how to live your life? Like you figure that the Bible, if it's this really important book, if it's holy, if it's God's own word, then it probably is going to give you some direction as to morality, what is right, what is wrong. It's going to give you some advice, some encouragement, some insight into the best way to live your life, instructions, best practices. And if you are, if there's a part of you that, that wants that from the Bible, well, Ephesians chapter 5 delivers. Because the Apostle Paul, in this section, he draws some very hard lines. He gives commands and instructions. He tells people, and he tells you, how to live your life. He's going to make very clear the difference between what is right and what is wrong. What is godly and what is ungodly? What is impure and what is holy? What is foolish and what is wise and what is darkness and what is light? 
In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, it starts with a command. It starts with an imperative. Follow God's example. But the Bible's first purpose, the Bible's main purpose, is not to tell you about the life that you ought to live. The Bible's first purpose, and if you're taking notes, this is what you can write down this morning. The Bible's first purpose is to tell you of the life lived for you. It is to tell you about the life that was lived and given for you. And then after it's told you about that life, the life that is for you, then it will guide and direct you in the life that you live. The Bible is full of valuable instructions, practical insights, encouragements, guidelines, instructions for how to live your life. But every single time that God's Word gives you those instructions, it is always based on the promises that God's Word holds out to you in Christ Jesus, your Savior. And so Paul's instructions also are based on that foundation. They are based on the foundation of God's love and Christ's light. And so when Paul instructs you to follow God's example, he says, as dearly loved children. He tells you to imitate God. Have you ever seen uh, somebody who's been able to just do an uncanny impersonation of someone else. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a professional comedian. But they just get that person's words. They get the, the, the manner of speaking, their mannerisms, their gestures, everything. They get it exactly right. It causes you to laugh. causes you to smile. Maybe if it's you they're impersonating, you're a little embarrassed. But Paul tells you to do your very best impersonation of God. To speak the way that God speaks. To act the way that God acts. To make God's own mannerisms, those mannerisms of truth and love and light, and, and to bring those into your life and to live with those. When, when Paul commands you to walk in the way of love, he then says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' walk of love took him all the way to the cross. The very cross where his life would be taken from him, but he willingly gave it. He willingly gave it for you. His walk of love led him to sacrifice his life, to give that life in place of yours. And when Paul calls this sacrifice fragrant, he means that God was pleased in it. God accepted that sacrifice from Jesus in your place. God said that that sacrifice of Jesus set you free. It set you free from your sin, from your guilt. It set you free to imitate God, to follow God's example, to live a life of love. 
And just as children who are loved well by their parents will emulate their parents, so also you and I, we emulate God, our Heavenly Father. We imitate God, our Savior. Well, there's a positive side to that instruction that Paul gives us to follow God's example, to live a life of love. The positive side is love. But Paul's also going to talk about the other side. When he tells us what to do, he also tells us what not to do. He says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Here's what strikes me about these words. It would be very easy for me to just blast people out in this world whose sexual morality is suspect and perverted. It would be very easy for me to to point out the impurity that I can see in celebrities and news anchors and and superstars and, and their greed. Don't even get me started on greed, right? It probably would be even easy for me to do that with my neighbors and the people that live around me. But what strikes me about these words, when, when Paul says, not even a hint, when he says, any kind, it shines the light of God's word on my own heart, in my own life. And that light of God's word, it, it exposes the heavy hints of immorality that are present there. It exposes the kind of impurity that's in my heart. It exposes the obscenity and foolish talk that might have been on my lips when our construction crew made a mistake. It exposes what's in my own heart. how there's wealth that pulls at me, tugs at my heart. And as it exposes those things in my own heart, it then exposes the seriousness of this because look at how serious Paul tells us to be. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And Paul matches up all of these things with the exact same result. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed. All of them result in the loss of your inheritance. Your inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. The inheritance which is the exact thing that the Bible promises to you in Jesus Christ your Savior. And you might lose it. And here's why. This inheritance is in the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of Christ is exactly that. It is the kingdom of Christ. In the kingdom of Christ, Christ reigns. 
Christ is the king. Christ shines forth with his light. His light fills that kingdom, and his people live in that light. The book of Revelation tells us that in the holy city, this kingdom of Christ, there is no need for the sun or the moon or the stars because Jesus himself is the light. And so the people of that kingdom, they walk in that light. The people of that kingdom, they worship Christ. The people of that kingdom, they dedicate themselves to their God. They find their hope and their trust and their security and their confidence, their comfort, they find that in Christ. And Paul equates the negative behaviors that he had listed off, he equates them with idolatry. Finding your hope, finding your comfort, finding your strength, finding your, your confidence in something other than your God. They be, those things can become gods to us and for us. And so if you crave sexual happiness, sexual fulfillment more than you crave Christ, an idol has been exposed in your heart. If you seek after the, the impure things of this world rather than the holiness of God, an idol has been exposed in your heart. If material possessions and wealth are that idol, if, if square footage becomes more important to you than Holy Scripture, or your savings account more valuable than your salvation or your retirement more critical than your redemption, then an idol has been exposed in your heart, an idol that needs to be eliminated, that needs to be done away with, because these very things bring the wrath of God, and so the light of Christ exposes those idols in our hearts. It exposes them because they bring the wrath of God. And does it make you a little bit uneasy to talk about God's wrath? No, we like to keep the focus on God's love, and his forgiveness, his grace. Things that the Bible speaks very clearly about, but if we only focus on God's love, then we miss, on the, miss out on the full picture of God. That can be dangerous. Paul warns us, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. You think of some empty phrases that we say, that are said in our world. You know, because just because somebody says something, just because they sound smart when they say it, doesn't mean it's true, right? It can be empty. When somebody says, it, it's my body, it's my life, well, no. Because didn't God create, form, uniquely fashion that body for you? Wasn't God the one who, who breathed the very breath of life into that 
body? When somebody says, well, you know, my actions shouldn't really affect you, and so you shouldn't worry about what I do with my life, my actions, they're my responsibility, it doesn't affect you. Well, 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 no, because God created us to be relational. He created us to connect with one another, and so if we are connected, if I have a relationship, if, if you're my friend, my brother, my sister, my, my parent, my child, my neighbor, then yes, your actions affect me. No one's getting hurt. You notice how we actually say that phrase after somebody has been hurt, offended, angered, saddened? There's some other empty phrases that are out there. Empty phrases like, a loving God would, would never punish people. A loving God would, would never send people to hell. Those phrases are empty because they empty God of his justice. They empty God of his holy morality. They empty God of his righteousness. And so we can't look at the God of the Bible and only desire to have the light of his love shine, but, but unscrew the light of his wrath, unscrew the light of his justice, unscrew the light of his holiness, because then we remain in the dark about who our God is. And so instead of being tempted to remove God's wrath, to make him cute and cuddly, let's make sure we have an important understanding and a healthy understanding of God's wrath. I think there's that temptation for us to want to soften God. Any of you have, have young children here today? If you have young children, um, you might know that they tend to gravitate toward a, a favorite stuffed animal or a favorite blanket, maybe, and they always need to sleep with it, right? They're stuffy, they're blanket. Because it provides a sense of security, the sense of comfort, something that they can snuggle up with, and it's soft and it's fuzzy, and it gives them that, that peace that they are safe and they are secure. But you and I know as parents, that's stuffy. Can't keep them safe. Like th- that's our job. That's our role. And God is not your stuffy. He's not just someone that is cute and cuddly and someone that we can snuggle up to and feel that comfort and that safety and security. No, he is the almighty God, which means that he really can protect you. He really can keep you safe, but you have to have a healthy understanding of who he is. His love is there. Amen. But he fills the world with his inexhaustible light and he will bring the hammer of his wrath down on anyone and anything that threatens his children. Anyone and anything that threatens you. He will keep you safe. He will protect you. And so don't dim the light on your understanding of all that God is. 
And also don't dim the light on your understanding of who God has made you to be. Paul reminds you, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Not just in the darkness, not just surrounded by darkness, but you were darkness. You had partnered yourself with darkness. That very darkness that ought to be cast out, cut off from God, thrust away for eternity, and yet through Christ, through his fragrant, pleasing sacrifice, God has made you light. Dear friends, you are able to produce the fruit of that light, righteousness and goodness and truth. Your heart and your hands, it will discover the things that please the Lord as you live that light, as you live out as children of the light. And you will realize yourselves how pleasing it is to live as children of the light. Living in the light of Christ, it puts us in two important positions. It puts you in the position to use that light to expose the darkness. Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And I think this can be super helpful for us as we consider conversations that we might have with someone who's, who's new to the faith, someone who's outside of the Christian church, someone who doesn't yet know uh, the joys of Christ, maybe your friend, maybe a relative. I think this can be super helpful. It puts us in the position, you as children of the light, you know what is good and what is beneficial. But you can expose what is not. You can expose the activities and, and the thought processes and the logic that are fruitless. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, they will leave you empty. They will not bring you the, the satisfaction and the joy that you seek. And you're in the right position to expose that. Which means that you don't have to come down with condescension and condemnation and, and being a judgmental person. But rather you can expose how those things are fruitless how they leave you wanting more, how they won't give you the satisfaction that you're seeking for. And then living in the light puts you in the right position to make clear the light of Christ. Paul writes this, he says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. He's talking about you. So this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The light of Christ has shone into your hearts. And it puts you in that position so that as you live as the light, you can also make clear that brilliant light of Christ. Dear friends, we have seen the light of Christ. It shines in our lives. 
It has lifted us up from the darkness that we once were, and this light of Christ, it, it resurrects you. It gives you a new life. It will provide directions and instructions and guidance for your life, but always based on the light of Christ. It'll put you in that position to shine that light. And dear friends, I pray. I pray that you notice. That you notice the light of Christ shining in your life. Amen? Amen.